listening this week to the late great Buddhist, Western Buddhist philosopher named Alan Watts. In one of his lectures called the Tao of Philosophy, he said a remarkable thing that just hit me like right in the gut. Talking about the sense of self, talking about the I as it develops within the West, the one who is the observer, the one who is the experiencer, the one, the one that we feel is contiguous and solid and my eye. He writes, it's actually absurd to say that we came into the world. We didn't. We came out of it. What do you think you are? Supposing the world is a tree. Are you leaves on its branches or are you a bunch of birds that settled on a dead old tree from somewhere else? Surely everything that we know about living organisms from the standpoint of the sciences shows us that we grow out of this world. That we, each one of us, are what you might call symptoms of the state of the universe as a whole. Symptoms of the state of the universe as a whole. Man, I tell you something, I heard that. And I started thinking about the phrase, out of this world. Out of this world. Man, how is that service? Oh, it was out of this world. Or how is that concept? Oh, out of this world. Out of this world. Watts says that the phrase out of this world actually is a more apt, accurate, scientifically rooted and evidentiary expression of who we are than having come into this world from somewhere beyond the world. This wonderful turning of a phrase and also its, its textured quality, its valence, multivalence, we would say. Interesting, out of this world both means imminent and transcendent all at once. To be out of this world is to be beyond the world. You're out of the world. Man, it was off the charts, but I don't mean off, I mean out, off, out. But out of this world means to have emerged from within the world. We are of it, not more than it, but of it, as the leaves are of the tree. We humans are out of this world. This insight from Alan Watts gave me much to think about as we approached this weekend. For me, this weekend is something I think about all year long, and it happened to coincide with Parshat Kiddoshim, the beginning of the book of, uh, the chapter 19 of the book of Leviticus, Kedoshim, coincides with Shabbat of the Child and insight from Watts into out of this worldness, transcendence and imminence beyond and from within permeates the conversation about Kedushah, holiness. The Torah has a vision for the world. If you want to know what the vision of the world is, it is a vision called holy, a holy world. So what is a holy world? What's a holy anything? And on that, there are, of course, many commentators, as there should be on such a fraught four-letter word. Holy. Some say that holiness means that which is separated and distinguished, having been made special. Kadosh means unique. 
Some say, of course, that kadosh means an attribute of the divine that we might never, ever fully embody. Some say that holiness is to live an ethical and moral life. Lots of definitions for holy, but let's just assume for a moment that the world that the Torah envisions called the holy world is definitionally a world that is infused with what we would call good, what we might call love, what we might call sacred, something irreducible and pure, maybe even innocent. And so I guess having known what it is, how do we arrive at this holy vision of this holy world? How do we get to the land called Kedusha? Well, the Torah basically says, if you want to know how to get there, you have to first acknowledge that there are two kinds of Kedusha, two kinds of holy. The first is that the world isn't only something, holy is not just something that we work to build, but something that we uncover and discover. Holiness already exists. Category number one of holiness is the already holy. The already holy appears, of course, in Shabbat. The very first time the Torah talks about anything holy, it's not a place, it's not a person, but it's a time. Shabbat is Kedusha Kaima. Shabbat is already holy. Shabbat represents the already holy that you find in anything that you open your eyes to. You didn't do it, and you don't have to. It's the beauty that you see before it. And the only thing that you have to do is to acknowledge its existence, protect it. That's what we have to do with the already holy. We acknowledge its power, the beauty of the day or of the majestic mystery that is before us. We protect its preciousness. We witness the flower and all that it represents, the raw transcendence of the stars as they radiate or the profound silence of the galaxies as they just beam. The already holy needs nothing from us but awareness. But, and building a holy world means we must also make the not yet holy into holy. The second category is not that which we discover, but that which we co-create. The collaborative lab of holiness in process. We are not only to discover holy, but to claim more space for it. We are holy knots, seeking out lands that we have not yet discovered, going where no one has gone before for the sake of the not yet holy. This not yet holy domain is active in us as we add time onto Shabbat, bring it into the week. We make a new relationship with someone we didn't know and all of a sudden discover their holiness and collectively we become holier together. We are in the business of making the not yet holy, holy. And to remove any of the inhibitions of that which might emerge as holy so that it might fully grow into its natural goodness. The inherent unfolding of holiness patterns in our world is our work. We might frame these two positions, the already and the not yet holy, as a holiness that points to an awareness of something bigger than us and a holiness that we co-create. It replicates itself, the Kedusha gene, if you will. Both of these frames are a way into understanding the opening lines of the Torah's portion known as Kedoshim. 
before the Torah enters into what the scholars call the holiness code, a series of detailed ethical and moral and ritual commandments whose purpose was probably to create and co-create a holy world, it begins with a strange enigmatic phrase, you will be holy or to you, you will be holy, you must be holy. Is it a question? Is it a promise? Is it a commandment? Kiddoshim can be translated, Kiddoshim to you can mean you shall be or you will be holy because the two frames are both there. There are things in the world that are already holy and they don't need anything but your recognition, says the Torah. Kiddoshim to you, there is holiness. Just like I am holy, God says, and I already am that way. And then there are realms that need your effort, your hard work and your diligence in order to bring it into manifestation, just like me, God says. I'm not yet fully done. Just as I, God, am already holy and not yet fully expressed, so too the world as you see it, God says, like me, can be divided into what is already and what might yet be. And then God says, what Torah says, something very beautiful. Not only is that true of the divine and the world outside of us, but it's also true of us. We have within us that which already is inherently beautiful, holy, perfect, and that which is not yet. The potential that hasn't yet been actualized, the future that hasn't yet been made manifest, the discoveries that are waiting for our emergence. It's hard not to think within those categories of what I saw this morning at my little boy Oris school up in Riverdale. Oris birthday will be tomorrow, May 7th. Seven years ago on May 7th, a Shabbat also, that little light came into the world. Six years ago, sorry, he's six, I'm not rushing ahead of myself. <laughs> Today's the sixth, tomorrow's the seventh, he's five today, he'll be six tomorrow. It's a lot of numbers. <laughs> Brain freeze. It's hard not to think about those little people that I saw this morning in that classroom. I kept thinking, Kiddoshim to you, you little people, little Adina, Ya'ila, little Isaac, as I sat there on their little Spilkes, each one of them with their creativity, each one un, unfinished, obviously, perfection that can be made more perfect with time, but already holy, not yet holy. Kiddoshim, tahorim, sweet, beautiful, innocent, vulnerable, open, alive, full of potential, full of aliveness, vitality, bursting at the seams. A natural egocentrism, a resilience, an exuberance. It wasn't hard, if I might, since we're in a church, to quote the New Testament. Lest ye be as little children, ye shall not enter the kingdom. There's a childlike quality also in our own tradition to be a yanuka, to be a child, to be childlike, to have innocence, to have that. It's hard not to think about Shabbat of the child and about how each and every year for the past three years we have sat together to talk about the most fundamental and profound resource that we have at our disposal, which are our children. They are the future, quite literally. And here we are talking about Kiddushah, 
the holiness project, the world of a holy vision. And shouldn't those who embody the most pristine aspect of both Kiddushah that already is and Kiddushah that might yet be, shouldn't they be the litmus test of any holy vision, holy world? Decide where we are along the continuum. How do we treat the most holy of our citizens? The ones whose potential is so full. Are we their guardians? Are we their shamim? Are we there to make sure that their emergence that their emergence is successful. If the holy requires safeguarding and protection, and if the not yet holy demands participation to ensure holiness emerges, we should have a holiness code for children. Not a holiness code which we read for us as adults. We should be in synagogues around the world with a specific code, Vaidaber Adonai al Moshe Lemor. Daber el b'nei Israel, el yaldei Israel, speak to the children of Israel, the children of the world, and say to them. But of course, that would be ridiculous. It should be saying to us, speak to us, the adults of the world, and say to them, protect your children. Do not treat them as chattel. Make sure that you don't live in an adult-centered world that doesn't imagine that a child's feelings and reality is ever-present and is as important, if not more important, and more vulnerable than yours. How could it be? But I think the Torah does give us a little piece. I'm going to come in for a landing soon. I think the Torah gives us a little piece. And it comes back to Watts. Watts. Children don't come into the world, they come out of the world. Children are out of this world. They're a window, a portal into the beyond because of their having coming here coming out of here, trailing clouds of glory, they're still attached to that place. They're still attached to that unsullied, trusting, open-hearted place that we as humans can only aspire, hopefully one day to be able to touch again, to be so clear, to be so able to be hurt, and for that reason, so able to trust. So Watts was right, we come out of this world and children are out of this world. And so the Torah says, Kiddoshim to you. You will be holy because you emerged from me. God says. And in this, I want to bring the Ramban, Nachmanides, who said something remarkable. When the Torah said, be holy, there was an argument between two great medieval rabbis Rashi and the Ramban, and Ramban said something remarkable. He said, listen, the Torah didn't have to come along and tell us to be holy in the sense of a commandment. There are enough commandments in the Torah. There was nothing new in telling us be holy, or you will be holy. The Ramban Nachmani says, you know what? You can keep the whole Torah, each and every letter of it. And you can come along and say, it doesn't say anywhere in the Torah 
Really, it doesn't say anywhere in the Torah that I can't eat 15,000 hamburgers at every meal. It doesn't say anywhere in the Torah that I should speak lovingly to my wife or my partner. There are so many things in the Torah that are not written explicitly. And if someone come along and say, it's not in the Constitution, I didn't see it. I mean, the founding fathers of our country and our document don't have it in there, right? The Torah doesn't have anything about computers and about microphones and about printed paper. And so if it's not in the Torah, then it must not be relevant. It's not what they had imagined. It says the Ramban in the 13th century in Spain, that's absurd. That can't be what holiness means, that you live according to the letter of the law. Ramban says, Nachmanri says, Kiddoshim to you is not only the things I said earlier, but he says something even more profound. He says, you know what we grow out of in this world? We grow out of an understanding, a field of awareness. There's a great field, the general sensibility. We might call it common sense. Like if you understand a little bit about the Torah, you'll understand how absurd it is to imagine that speaking to your wife or your husband or your partner in a way that isn't demonstrably loving is just not in the spirit of the Torah. If you read the Torah carefully, the Ramban says, you can miss the point of what it is to become holy and how important the emergent field in which you are planted matters. Only said, the Ramban says, only somebody who doesn't get the gestalt looks into the Torah and says, how many hamburgers am I allowed to eat before I become completely, like I'm just not treating my body well? It's not written here, so I guess I'll just figure it out. I can, you know. He calls this a naval bershuta Torah. You can be somebody who's, who acts disgracefully, but with the permission of the Torah. The permission of the Torah. That we can live in a world where the majority of the people in this country, it's so clear to them that a woman should have control of her own body. It's not just clear because of, it says it or didn't say it in the Constitution, it's clear because it's at the essence of what it is to be a free country, to be to have liberty and the pursuit of goodness, to make sure that there aren't more unwanted children in the world, to make sure that violence doesn't come to women who desperately need an abortion. And so it's not written in the Constitution. Okay. There are a lot of things that aren't written in the Constitution that seem to be as obvious as the hand in front of my face. So Ramban comes along and he says, you know what? You know your holy vision part, the holy world? You know that there are things that are already holy and there are things that are not yet holy? It should be obvious to each and every one of us, the Ramban says, that children come out of the soil that we plant them in. And that soil should be a place where children's rights are lifted up. It doesn't say in the Torah, there's no holiness code. So what? Look at that child and look at the way we treat them. It's staggering to me as someone who is a survivor of childhood abuse and who has publicly said that each and every year. It's staggering to me still how little attention is paid to our children publicly. How little attention is paid to the responsibility that we have and the assumption that in the Jewish community, 
Maybe we'll get a degree from sacred spaces, maybe not. It's staggering to me. It's staggering to me that it's not written in large, like letters on every lawn, on every suburban synagogue, that it's our responsibility to stop child abuse in our institutions and in every home. It's staggering to me that there isn't a referendum on parenting and whether or not it's okay to spank a child. It's staggering to me that in an enlightened country where each and every one of us knows a rabbi, an imam, a priest, that we're not actually speaking about this more than once a year, maybe once a month. It's staggering to me that institutions of faith don't provide parenting classes for young mothers and fathers. It's staggering to me. Like my mind can't get around it. If I had a million bucks, the first thing I would do is I would have classes for parents. Is there a greater social need? I just don't understand. It's staggering to me. My mind tries to fit around it. And all I can do is go back to Alice Miller, the great therapist who had the courage to write, thou shalt not be aware, the drama of the gifted child, and say that it must be a collective denial. How else do we explain it? How else can we explain the level of intense social justice activism within the Jewish community that touches almost every single issue, from Israel to Palestine, to poverty, to homelessness, to domestic violence, to equality, to racism, to homophobia, to Islamophobia? How is it possible? So I wanna say maybe it's because of what the Ramban said. Maybe Nachmanides, his teaching that holiness is basically the field and all of us assume that the field has been taken care of. There is already a field, it's emergent. We know, we live on the Upper West Side. There's a therapist on every corner <laughs> and a Montessori school around the, around the block. But each and every year, as we cycle through the holidays, as we cycle through all of the various things that we as conscientious lovers of a world that is already holy and dedicated light workers to make the not yet holy, holy, it strikes me profoundly that the children are waiting for us. The children are waiting for us to say to them, you are out of this world. You are out of this world, this world. This world that we will populate with protection. This world that we will populate with awareness and truth telling. This world that we will make safe for you. This world where we will do our due diligence as adults to manage and regulate our own emotions and feelings and say that writ large, that we as adults will absolutely take it upon ourselves to say that it is our work to bring about a world with greater holiness. As Rav Kook said, Hayashan titchadesh, v'chadashit kadesh, that which is old will become new like children and the new will become holy like the one. On this Shabbat of the child, my prayer is that one year from now, we will be able to look at the statistics and the numbers around child maltreatment in this country and everywhere and see 
that we have done our best to lift up those children who are out of this world. Please rise. Mm -hmm.